Hey everybody, it's Jim Duncan with Sweat the Details. We took a somewhat unintentional Thanksgiving break, came back and had a great interview with Jessica Sweezy last week, and we recorded this one on the same day. Jonathan, Keith, and I briefly reviewed 2023, and we looked to 2024, which is going to be a time of change for consumers, agents, brokers, and the industry as a whole. Thank you to everyone for listening, emailing, and sharing our conversations. We truly appreciate it. Here's to 2024. And one final note of thanks to our sound engineer, Dave Stipe, and Little Roadie Productions. You've made us sound good. Thank you. Jonathan, Keith, good to see you. It's been a little bit. It's been a bit. Yeah. It's been, we, we, we had to take a little bit of a hiatus. Um, maybe we didn't have to, but we, we chose to. Sometimes in life, things get too hectic and you've got to prioritize. There's only, only so much time in the day, but we're, we're back and we're glad to be back. So thanks for everybody for uh, re-engaging with us. I hope everybody liked the uh, Savannah Bananas we throw out there because uh, that's one of our favorite episodes, and um, they've grown a little bit since since they uh, since they were on our podcast. So I think that we can certainly take credit for that. Absolutely, Jesse's done an amazing job, and it is it is fun to go back and listen to where he was was headed back then, and and where it is now, knowing knowing the growth he's had. So, and and knowing that we're now in our new office, things have changed for us on our front. So we're. Um, you know, recording from from phone booth rooms in the new office, which is pretty awesome. Well, we got three topics today. We're closing out 2023, looking at 2024. Uh, we each brought a topic today. Um, let's just start rolling. We're going to do do market, talk about agency, and, and talk about buyer presentations. Um, market for 2023. Uh, it's been a, it's been a market. Um, 2024, I think that as we look to, to 2024, you know, we were talking before, I think that we have the opportunity to have the first, you know, air quotes, normal cyclical spring market than we've seen in, you know, four years. I, I think back though, Jim, even beyond the four year point, you know, during pandemic, we were, we were, we had a company meeting and I remember asking just looking at the statewide licenses within the state of Virginia. And I think it was something like 65% of agents had been licensed since the last buyer's market actually, you know, technically existed. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it may be four years since we went into the craziness, but it's been what, 12, 13 years, 14 years since we actually had a buy true buyer's market in terms of, of supply and demand. You think, you think we're going to be in a mode that there's going to be a buyer's market? Or do you think, you know, Jim, when you say there's a the first spring market to, since 2019, um, you know, we know what happened in 2020, 21 and 22 and 23 were, you know, kind of like, I still, I still think we're going to look back at them and they're just anomalies uh, on, on the, the real estate historical map in terms of just the drastically low inventory and the drastically low rates and then rates popped and yeah. inventory stayed low and like all these strange things happen. So are you saying first spring market since 2019 or are you saying buyer's market or both? I think, I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I mean, I think that you're going to see, you know, with rates, hopefully they're falling now and hopefully they continue to, to fall and stabilize. I think you're going to see more sellers who have been either re- realistically or they felt emotionally felt that they are tied to their their 2.5% mortgage or 3.5% mortgage. They're going to be able to have the conversation about actually selling and buying something else at a higher rate, but you know, not 3%, but at a higher, more air quotes, reasonable rate uh, perceived by them. 
and you, and as rates continue to be at a you know six seven percent, buyers who've been sitting on the sidelines, I think, are going to be pulled out pulled out, and they've been you know, putting their their rental lives on hold, if you will, um, and re-upping their leases and and being more transient, are going to start putting down roots, you know, in in their respective markets. So I think we're going to see, uh, you know, more, I think that looking pulling back a little bit, the work from home. Uh, you know, phenomenon has probably, no, I'd like to think has stabilized to a certain degree. Like the ones who went permanent are permanent. The ones who've been called back to, to the office are, are called back to the office. So we have more life stability. So I think we're going to see a, you know, a more uh, normal-ish real estate market in 2024. We're going to see that, Jim, because the inventory is finally increasing at a rate that, that can handle a, a reasonable demand curve or are you suggesting that the demand is going to be dropping to the point where it's no longer overwhelming the limited supply i think you're going to see you know increased inventory and you're going to see increased buyer activity so i think that's going to lead to more of a stable market because that's going to have again if you have if you have more listings more homes available to be seen and you have more buyers coming out who are able to qualify and want to qualify because I think one thing we've seen is that there have been buyers in the last 18, 24 months who on paper could have qualified for a mortgage, but they didn't feel comfortable with that eight, eight and a quarter or whatever it was. And even though they could have qualified, they didn't want to. So they stayed. So I think with rates being, you know, I'm hoping six and a quarter, six and a half, six, seven, five, and that would be amazing. You're going to have more buyers able to come out. And, but I think that's going to be yield more competition from a, from a buyer perspective. It's going to bring, you know, the, if that incremental increase in inventory will hopefully be balanced out. And God help us, I don't want a market where you have 37 offers on, on each property within the first six minutes. You know, so right. I, I, I think that it's, it's part of a hopeful prediction that we have a more normal-ish market uh, where we're all existing reasonably, reasonably well and, and um, calmly. Well, I think that there's one thing we learned from the conversation we had recently with Jessica Louts is that the inventory problem isn't just going to, you know, we're, we're not going to wake up in a couple of weeks on January 1 and like all of a sudden, you know, the inventory problem is resolved. So that's going to be the slow grind. Um, but I do agree with you that as rates have dropped and I guess, you know, I looked yesterday and the rates were 7.22. Um, about a month ago, they were hovering right around eight. It's a pretty big drop um, in a short period of time. And we're not into the game of predicting rates. Um, but for the, you know, second year in a row, <laughs> everybody's predicting rates are, you know, all right, maybe, yeah, for the last 18 months, everybody's predicting rates are going to drop. And especially in 2023, I think one of the biggest prediction fails was, oh, well, you know, the the 10 the years, you know, the spread is going to drop and rates are going to drop. And by the end of 2023, rates should be at five and a half again. And we know we're nowhere close to that. Um, but things seem to be trending in a direction where they're going to continue to continue to drop a little bit. If you combine, I'm just making this number up. If you combine a six and a half or six and three quarter rate with inventory that's up 10 to 15%, which I think is a realistic expectation based on kind of what I'm seeing and hearing out there, you take those two 
um, those two components. And I, I think that puts us in a, in a really good spot for you know, a better spot for buyers um, in terms of they're going to have some more selection. They may not need to make a decision in seven minutes and also still keep sellers in a, in a nice spot where um, prices most likely continue to appreciate a little bit, depending, you know, depending on the neighborhood and the market. And there's, we know there's all variables and, you know, real estate's local, but I think that starts to get, get us closer to a balanced market. Um, and that's, that's the way that I'm seeing things right now. I, I do believe that Jim, I agree with you that, that we're going to see, a, you know, depending on, a, on what the El Nino brings in the, in the winter with the spring market that, you know, when, when the weather starts to starts to warm a little bit, um, I feel as a like late February, March, like we could be in for a kind of a robust market, like, you know, normal market that when what we're used to in most of our, you know, 20 plus year careers. Yeah. I think, I think you're going to, you're going to see, you know, home inspections becoming normal again. You're going to see people having time to do some due diligence on where they want to live and, and what their lives are going to be in that space versus that one popped up. It I've missed the last nine. I need to go make an offer on that one just because I'm going to miss out. I think the FOMO is something that, you know, my perception is that, you know, the, the FOMO has been mitigated for, by a lot of buyers who have seen others and they've recognized that they want to take their time and be diligent about the process of buying a home because it's also, I mean, we've all been doing this long enough that when we started, people would stay in their houses for three to five years and now it's 10 to 13 years. So I think more buyers are being more diligent and saying, this is where we're going to be for the next phase of my career, you know, or it's going to be for the, re for the rest of my dog's life. We're going to be in this in this house. All right. So here's my here's my last question. Then on the on the market side for rep for recommendations for your buyers, are you going to be telling them to be looking at the arms right now? As they, if we're talking about the fluctuation, we're talking about the potential drops. Are we looking at arms, or are we still thinking fixed is going to be a safer bet for most uh, most buyers? I mean, I would say. I mean, I I think it's all you know. I, I'm going to default. To thirty, uh, to thirty year fixed. But I've seen and recommended quite a number of of ten one arms this year, and I think yeah. that I think twenty twenty four is going to bring more ten one arms. The you know, for my client risk threshold, you know the three five seven one arms are beyond my risk threshold for my clients. But ten, I think, is reasonable. You know, within five years, you'll know if life is going to keep you there, and then if if the opportunity presents itself, you can refinance. But I've talked to people who are you know, way older than any of us who've had three one arms and paid off their mortgage yep. in 25 years and it worked out really well for them. You know, so I think it just depends on, you know, again, I think that more people are looking more long term broad brush. So I think, you know, my, my, again, my comfort threshold is, is the 10 one arm, but it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. Sure. What do you think? Yeah. I, I tend to think a 10 year arm is a fixed rate mortgage. I mean, that's the reality is, like you said, but within, even if it, even if you're there for, you know, if, if the average owner is 10 to 13 years, you're talking about only two years outside of, of known quantity pricing. And that's, to me, that's a fixed, that's a fixed rate. So I think for me, I, I will say with the amount of, of volatility that's out there and the amount of people who think they're going to be refinancing and the amount of people who think we're going to see a drop in the next even if it's even if it's not an 18 month drop if it's within 36 months 
you're better off on a three-year arm and letting it float and letting, you know, keeping as, as low a, a rate as you can for the first few years while you pay off a little bit more and get it to the point where you can, can do your refi. I, I just, I think, I think we're going to see, I don't know how much I rec- would recommend to people. Cause I think, as you said, Jim, it's there, your risk tolerance is what matters in that decision. And, and that's not something I want to gauge for my clients, but I do think you're going to start seeing a lot more, arms popping up and then we're going to see arms being a a bigger and bigger conversation with lenders and and clients directly maybe not maybe not the the realtors popping in on that but i do think the lenders are going to start presenting it as a really reasonable option for lowering your monthly payments for the first few years yeah no i would agree with that and just to to throw out the stat that i saw recently and we'll put this in the show notes and so don't quote me but i think it was from redfin Redfin looked at the the tenure of the average uh, American homeowner in their house, and it was it's dropped from twelve point eight years to twelve point two years. So so the the numbers are dropped. So we kind of like peaked at Jim, like you said, almost thirteen years, and all of a sudden we've dropped down. Um, you know over the last year, and I think the reason there's a lot of reasons behind that. Um, but yeah, so but but Keith's right. A ten year, a ten year arm is is essentially a fixed, fixed rate mortgage for 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 most buyers. for most buyers. And I guess you know that kind of leads to the question that if we're if we're talking about what kind of recommendations you're making for your buyers, that leads to what are buyers doing now to to request multiple interviews of agents. And Jim, I know you've been involved in a in in recently in multiple agents being interviewed for buyer pieces. And, and Jonathan, where does that, where does that take us for the buyer agent? You stole my topic. <laughs> <That was good. laughs> okay. yeah. So yeah. So, so, you know, kind of, um, uh, Keith stole my thunder. So I'll, I'll, st- I'll steal it back from him. <laughs> so my, my, my comment, my prediction for, for next year is the rise of the buyer presentation. And we all know what a listing presentation is when you go and, you know, sit in front of sit in somebody's kitchen table and, you know, pitch the value of a listing agent, and the services that you're going to offer. And, um, and I think that, that 2024 is going to bring the buyer presentation very quickly to the forefront of being a thing for the vast majority of, you know, maybe not first steps with a buyer, but first or second or third steps with a buyer is like having a very formal uh, presentation in office, in home, digitally, as we know, you know, one thing that we've been talking about a lot here is what does a buyer presentation look like? And we can, we can dig into this a little more, but a, a buyer's agent has to be able to define, has to be able to show their value and, and communicate value to, to buyers in order to get, you know, hired by, by them. And that can, you know, take a lot of different, uh, it can come at a lot of different angles, but, um, but anyways, I, I feel like the buyer presentation in, in very short order, and I know it's already a thing, but it's going to become a real thing and, and part of our, our, our ongoing vocabulary, uh, and process. Well, I, I mean, world. and I, and I, and I, I've been, you know, had buyers reach out to me for, I don't know, probably a decade. You know, where they have that conversation because I've, I've been writing about this stuff and talking about this stuff for so long that you're you are in in effect hiring your buyer's agent. I think we've seen a lot of you know transitions in 2023, um, but I think that more buyers are more mindful of that representation relationship, where they they want to know 
frankly, what are you going to do for me? And I, hope so. I mean, again, through my lens, I'm seeing a lot more of it because the buyers, they are more cogs in the fact that they are the ones making the choice. They are the ones hiring the buyer and they by hiring the buyer's agent. And they want to know what value that that agent brings to them. And they want to know the experience. They don't, it's not just, oh, hey, I'm, I, I met Dave at an open house. Um, I bet he's good. You know, I, I think they want to dig more into it. Or not even that. I mean, look, I'm not actively selling anymore, but I, back in my early days of selling, and, and I know it doesn't happen quite as much anymore, but I would get calls at 930 on Saturday morning. Hey, um, I've never met you before, but I found you online. We're driving down from DC and will you show us five houses? And I, you know, that, Hey, look, I don't, it, it, it's great that someone you found me or finds an agent online and somehow connects with them and, and, and trust them enough to, to do that. But, you know, that's a stressful process for everybody. Um, ruins, you know, plans that I have that day, because in most cases you kind of drop what you do and go show them five houses. But if we professionalize this uh, buyer agency relationship, it's better for everybody. It's better for the buyer. They know what they, it, it gives the, it gives the buyer's agent the opportunity to listen, to explain the process, you know, describe the pitfalls, go through really the whole process, get them pre-qualified, like all this. And it sets the expectations for them, but it also puts a buyer's agent on maybe a little bit of a better schedule. They don't have to drop what they're doing and just jump to an online lead. So I, I, I'm, you know, once again, not actively selling anymore, but am rubbing shoulders every day with very productive agents and having conversations with very productive agents. And I think it's a phenomenal uh, progression of the industry. Yeah. And I think, you know, recently um, in the last, you know, as I were recording, Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's partner, passed away. And I've been listening to tons of bios on him and his his wonderful comments that he made during Berkshire Hathaway meetings. But one of the one of the great comments that I was listening to is that he said, if you want to, if you want to be paid for your service, you need to deliver value that you would want as a buyer, as a you know, purchaser, whatever that product is. And I think, I think for so long we've kind of just worked with buyers in a this, you know, we know what we're providing, but we don't explain it. And I think there is a huge part that right now we're going to need to be explaining our value. We need to be expressing it and we need to be providing it. And I think this is a great opportunity for those who understand what they've been doing for years as a service provider to be able to explain it, to be able to spell it out. And I think, I think this is, this is that year in these presentations, I will say I've had several during the years that I was actively representing buyers and sellers when I got called by a buyer to interview for a position for my, you know, for the right to represent, I can tell you those relationships were always better relationships. They were always more solidly footed. They were, they were, everybody had better expectations. You know, I was able to spell out exactly what I was going to do and why, and they were able to tell me what they needed. And I think, um, I think it's just a better relationship all around. And I think, you know, um, Charlie Munger said it right. It's you've got to be able to show your value if you expect to be paid for it. Yeah, I think one, something along the lines of you're right. You, 
he said something along the lines is of money flows to to value, right? Yeah. Something like that. And that's it's right. And and I think, you know, I'll also throw out his best quote of, or you know, he and Warren together, I'm not sure who it said it was basically that buying a, a great company at a fair price is better than buying a fair company at a great price. And I think that is absolutely true for our buyers and sellers on, you know, when they're looking for homes, I would much rather pay a fair price for a great house that really fits the needs of my families than to jump at something because there's a great price available to it, but it may not fit every one of my needs. And I think that's the type of, of insight that we're going to need to be providing to our, our buyer clients. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, I, the last thing I'll say on this is, is I had a buyer recently that we're going to be working together. They interviewed, I think they, they reached out to six agents, interviewed three in person and they emailed me this morning said saying that they would like to work together. And I think it's great because I know I know they did their due diligence. I know the questions that they asked. I know that they learned something with every every interview that they had, and I know that we I I work I talked to them for almost 2 hours in person, and I know that we're a good fit. I mean and the the good fit is something that we have to like each other to a certain degree. And the other thing is I had buyers last year, we sat actually at the same coffee shop and talk for two or three hours and they went through three pages of questions and they were good questions. They weren't just, just silly questions they found on the web. They had actually spent the time to wean them down and articulate them in their man, in, in their way. And when they hired me, I said, may I have those questions? <laughs> Cause they're fantastic. And I, you know, and I actually, I send them out to buyers who, who reach out to me. I'm saying, if you're interviewing buy, buyers agents, here are three pages of questions that buyers who hired me asked and they felt comfortable working with me because I think that it's, it's buyers need to do their research now more than ever because the, I think the competence and professionalism become, are, are going to become in addition to empathy are going to be, become the, the killer apps for 2024. Yeah. Agreed. Love it. Agreed. You want me to steal your thunder or do you want to go? You, you know, you can steal it. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, <man. laughs> Go for it. It's no, a thunder stealer. I, I think this is, this is, but this is the the topic, right? We're sitting here saying that we want to represent the buyer and how we we foresee that buyer relationship. And I think the challenge that we're going to have in 2024 and, and moving forward as an industry is that with the conversation that has been so driven by compensation questions right now regarding lawsuits and and other pieces. We've got to provide that value. We've got to show it because the the reality is if you're a buyer and you want to, quote, save a buck and you go directly to a listing agent, we're going to see a real expansion of agents you know, performing dual agency or attempting to perform dual agency and really providing a disservice to the buyers and sellers in the process. And I think that one of my, my prediction is that in 2024, we're going to start seeing a lot more focus on... Um, on the legal questions of dual agency and whether, you know, single agent dual agency, is it ever in the best interest of a buyer or, or a seller is, you know, what are our, how do teams operate within the dual agency question? I think these are going to be the topics that we're going to, we as an industry, we're just going to have to start addressing. Um, and I think, you know, Nest has been adamant since day one of our founding that we don't do dual agency for a reason. And that is you can't serve two masters. And, and, you know, Virginia has been very, is very public that our disclosure says, if you're doing dual agency, here's a list of all the things I can't do for either party. 
And they basically are advise you in any way, shape or form, right? We can't advise on price. We can't advise on repairs. We can't advise on contract terms. We can't do anything for either client if we're doing dual agency. Um, and I think that's that's my prediction is we're going to start seeing a lot of scrutiny of dual agency because it's going to be on the rise in the next year. I would agree. And I think this comes down to the uh, the unintended consequences of sometimes you make you make decisions or decisions are made that people think are the right decisions. And then you got to think one, two, three, four steps down the line of what is the unintended consequences or what are the future consequences of of these decisions? And I think, you know, one of the one of the things that we're going to start to see is is dual agency becoming a thing and i and i do think it's going to be i, I think it's going to be under attack i hope i hope that that nar and um who knows other organizations get on the right side of the future get, get on the right side of the future and i mean is this one of the things that we look at and and say like hey look there's not many forms that we have or rules that we have or that are across the that are nationwide. One of them is the lead-based paint document that we use. Is there a national dual agents don't no dual agency disclosure that has to be signed by everybody? I think that would be amazing. You know, you talk about the value of a buyer's agent, you know, if if the US is an amazing place to buy a home, buy and sell a home for a lot of reasons. Um, and and uh, dual agency could really get in the way of that. Buyer agency and buyer representation is a phenomenal uh, service if done if and when done right. And um, dual agency is just completely detrimental. Well, I think I think we are in an evolutionary phase because I think that you know what Keith buyer buyer you know buyer agency didn't even come to fruition until the mid late nineties. Prior to yes, that, in, in Virginia, it was 1996 was the General Assembly action that that al- even allowed buyer agency. It's not that we didn't have it regularly practiced. It was legally not even a recognized representation until 1996. Right. So, you know, before that, it was all everybody was either an agent of the seller or a sub agent of the seller. And then buyer agency came came into effect. Again, I, I started practicing in, in 2001. So I don't really I know, you know tangentially what that world was before. But I, I would argue that for buyer agency, it is one of the greatest, you know, ad, you know, evolutions of the practice, because for having somebody look, represent you in your best interests is critical. I mean, I've, I've seen unrepresented buyers and, and and unrepresented sellers. It can certainly be done. I, you know, one can you know represent themselves as is option in in courts. You know, I see it on Law and Order all the time. And it never works out well for them, you know, but it, it's something that um, with buyer agency, I, I I can't make an argument and I've tried for years. I cannot make an argument where representing your yourself in a transaction works out well when you're going against somebody who is competent and skilled at what they do. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think, you know, I bought two houses before buyer's agency became allowed in Virginia. Um, and nobody ever explained it to me. And I guarantee you that I did not understand that my agent was working for the seller, despite the fact that they were somebody I selected and I had looked at a dozen houses with and that I had was shopping with and they had recommended a lender and they had, you know, it was, it was the same 
Yeah, this is the question of transparency. And this is why this this whole right now, what we're dealing with in 2023 going to 2024 is so important. This is about the, the general public not just being protected, but understanding what it is we're doing for them. And this is this is why I'm embracing this change because I think we're just we're at a we're at a point where the public wants to know what it is we've been doing and what we are doing and why we're doing it and what they're paying it. And it's it's a fair question. Um, and I think we're, you know, I'm excited for it. I think it's a it's a great, it's a great layup for for Nest and what the way we've we've been training our agents, the way we operate since day one. Yeah. Right? It was one of our kind of core beliefs since day one and it hasn't changed. And uh, you know, there's been a lot of things we've been doing since day one. And we're we're like, this is gonna this is going to be the way of the future. And, you know, here we are 15 years later and it's the way of the present. It's, it's, well, it's, it's getting there yeah. it's a little, a little slower than, uh, than we thought we predicted, but um, I think, I think we're getting there with, uh, with dual agency. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if it, if it becomes front and center with some big conversations here in the next six months or so. Yeah. And, you know, I think as we, as the DOJ comes to some, answers for us of what their expectations are. I think dual agency should be a part of that conversation. Absolutely. You know, Jim, I, it is going to be mighty interesting. And I think the reality is people say we're in a changing market and I've said it a bunch in the last month. I don't think we're in a changing market. I think we're in a changed market. I think the change has happened. I think the question is how do we adjust to it and how do we prepare for it? And how do we, how do we make, you know, acknowledgements of, of what those changes are and, and just being truthful um, about the way our our industry has operated and continues to operate, and and what it needs to do to to adjust to that changed market, um, but I think, you know, looking at twenty twenty four, Nest is in a phenomenal spot because I think we are on the right side of this, and we have been, um, and I look forward and and you know this this is an opportunity for us and and for great agents everywhere, and I think it's I think we're in a great spot for it. Yeah, we've we've been saying this for forever, and and you kind of wonder if 2024, not to kind of throw another prediction out, but maybe to start to put a bow on this, but 2024 is the is the year where real estate really gets professionalized and just takes you know massive steps in the right direction um, for just upping upping the game. Like we we've got to all up our game and get better, and it's. Ultimately, like we've said since day one, it's for the consumer. What's we would ask this question with everything we did in the early days and still do, but what's best for the consumer? Uh, and that's how we were founded, and that's how we're still operating. I, I see twenty four. I mean, I, no year has been the same as the previous year. We've all learned something. You know, the previous year that we apply the next year. I see twenty four as being a time for us all to hone our respective crafts to get better what we do, to ask more and better questions of ourselves and each other and to, and collectively within nest to all get better at what we do and represent our clients, you know, better than we, better than we ever have before. And for me, that's, it's exciting to be looking at something with, through a new lens to a certain, certain degree and uh, you know, be looking forward to put, put one foot, one foot after the other and make it a great, great year. So it's gonna be fun and exciting and scary and great. <laughs> Um, and to that, you know, I hope everybody has a, a fabulous holiday coming up and look forward to being together again in the new year, seeing what that brings to all of us and to all the listeners who are out there have been sticking with us through 2023. We appreciate greatly your commitment to us and, and we'll stay here for you guys and look forward to 2024 and doing more of these together. Let's do it. 